Welcome to Behind the DM Screen for August of 2019. Uh, we are three DMs talking about our games and helping each other out. We have Mike Shea, say hello. Hello. And we have Sam Dillon, say hello. Hello. And I am, of course, Jeff Greiner. So, first up on the list, that's all the intro you get. 15 minutes goes on the clock and Mike gets to talk first. Ready, set, Yay. go. I'm ready. So I have two games to talk about tonight. And well, kind of three. So I I finished my plate, my internal play testing of my uh, Ruins of the Grendel Root games, and they went out. All the adventures went out for external play testing, uh, and that meant I got to move to my uh, Ghosts of Saltmarsh campaigns for both my Wednesday and my Sunday group. Uh, I ran session zeros of both of those games, which both went really well. Uh, if do you guys run session zeros for your new campaigns? Oh yeah. Uh yeah. sort of sometimes. Okay. Like <laughs> I, I have now yes, yeah, so I've now ran I've 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 now run them a lot for, for my campaigns. I think I've done them for all of the last recent campaigns. And I really find them useful and I feel like I'm getting better at running though. Well, I don't know. They go in so many weird ways. It's such a fluid session that it's it's hard to like have a real hard technique about how they work. Uh, but I've been very happy with the output, and certainly the players have been very happy with the output on that. I think the one big lesson that I learned, uh, both from doing it for Ruins of the Grendelroot and for doing it for Saltmarsh, was having a single-page, uh, player-focused and character-focused summary of the campaign that gave them everything they needed to know, not just about what the campaign is about, but what their role in the campaign is. And it, one page means people will read it. It means you can print it out and hand everybody a copy. Um, I made one for Saltmarsh uh, that I've been I've been pitching a lot, and I'll have up on my website. Um, and it's really that that worked really really well for both of those campaigns, and it worked well because the players brought characters to they either brought characters to the session zero or they made characters at the session zero that were tied in with all of the nice little hooks in the campaign, and in many cases brought their own hooks. Um, I think the winner was uh, a new player that we have in my Sunday game named Juliet, who found on Twitter a background called A Whale Ate My Parents. <laughs> and it, you know, it's like a totally unplay tested, unofficial background, but it's so thematically awesome. I was like, yes, you can absolutely play that background. And, you know, she she brought that into her character. There's this ink black whale that's out there in the sea and it and it ate her parents. And it's like it also ate like Anders Solmar's parents, who's one of the NPCs and one of the other players like had their ship was wrecked. So they they, they all sort of like gravitated around that. And um, it came up with some really neat backgrounds uh, that that work well into the story of the rest of the adventures. Um, and then with my Wednesday group. Uh, we actually started the first session of uh, Sinister Secret of Saltmarsh, the first the first adventure mm -hmm. in Ghost of Saltmarsh. And that's been really fun. I think that there's something about playing an adventure that's 38 years old and has been played, you know, like it's a it's, a, you know, not the most popular adventure, but it's certainly people had heard of it over the past 38 years. And then to have it kind of refined by Kobold Press and edited by Wizards of the Coast and then republished, it's a really strong, you know, it's a really strong adventure. It's not without, it's not without its flaws. Uh, I think the hooks don't work particularly well because everyone's like, yeah, it's haunted and it's terrible. Don't go there. And then it was like, 
why would the characters want to go to a place right. that everybody's like, don't go there? And they have an NPC who's like, their goal is to get people to not go there. And you're like, why would I want that? Right. <laughs> like, and there's no like, there's no like, oh yeah, it's haunted, but it's totally full of gold. I'm like, well, so there is a little bit. Like the <laughs> whole whole legend is that there was an alchemist that lived there who learned how to make lead into gold or base metals into gold, right. and that his secrets are down in there. And you're like, okay, well, that's a good reason. So you could certainly do a, a money motivation. I ended okay. up jumping with a murder mystery. I had a woman's body uh, wash up on shore that was clearly in like prisoner's garb. And people around town recognized that she and her brother had come here just like a, a week or two ago and planned to go to the haunted mansion because they had heard about the gold. And the council is like, we need to know what's, you know, the guy's missing. And she's showing up with like, you know, with like burn marks around her wrists and, and legs. And it looks like she had been bound, but somehow escaped, but we don't know how. And there's all these worries about the slavers in the area. Mm. And we're also, there's this big political issue going on at Saltmarsh between the loyalists and the traditionalists. The traditionalists kind of want to, you know, they want independence. Like, you know, they had independence and they're losing it. And the loyalists are like, look, you got bodies washing up on shore. We need more military people here. So the council's like, we need an independent group to go up to the mansion to figure out what's going on. And we choose the characters, you know, and that, that for me, I use that hook for both of my groups and that hook worked, I think is a stronger hook. It gets more into like the, the kind of fun politics going on right. in Saltmark. Um, well, that was, one... that was part of the issue with that book, right? Though, is that it was a series of adventures yeah. that weren't necessarily connected and there was kind of a setting, but the setting wasn't specifically uh, tied in that way to to the adventures. So they have like a there's like a one page attempt to try to tie the adventures together around right. this uh, single. This is a salt marsh spoilers. I'm gonna close my door. Some more weapons in here. Um, <laughs> then I've trapped a cat in here. Uh, so there's there's a a whole uh, faction called the Scarlet Brotherhood. And the Scarlet, you know, the Scarlet Brotherhood's goal is to sort of destabilize the whole area, both from loyalists and traditionalists, so that they can take over. And in my version, there's one guy who's trying to take over. He wants control of the council completely. And his goal is to destabilize the council. And he's doing it through his young ward. He's, he's a, you know, he's posing as a butler. He's like Alfred in Batman. Right. But he's evil, evil Alfred. Alfred. And his... He is working it through one of the council members, Anders Solmar, who's this young guy, and Anders trusts him. So, the, you know, I think that there will be opportunity. It's not in the adventure itself, but I think there's a fair bit of opportunity to kind of let that go through. And I think between the three main adventures, which is Sinister Secret, Danger at Dunwater, and um, The Last Enemy, or The Final Enemy, right. those all circulate around Saltmarsh. And I think there will be opportunity um, to, to tie back to that larger plot. Uh, one thing I'm trying to figure out, and maybe you guys can help me with this is there's a, there's a, uh, NPC named Ned, Ned something, um, who is, pretends to be a prisoner in the haunted mansion on the third floor. And his, he apparently in the, in the adventure, he works for one of the merchants, but he could just as easily be a Scarlet Brotherhood agent. And, my, my the hard part that I've been noodling through, like you know, whenever I have ten minutes to think about my game, is like, what what is Ned doing there, and what is his goal? What is his relationship with the with the pirates that are there, and when he runs into the characters, what what's his reaction going to be? And in my Wednesday group, he did run into the characters, and he kind of got away, and they're all convinced that he's a 
pirate captain you know that they just let they, they let loose accidentally which might be cool right um and the other group hasn't they haven't really started yet um but I'm, that's a it's a tricky bit of like how does this guy you know i want him to sort of be tied to the scarlet brotherhood and mm -hmm. so one way i'm thinking about it's like he actually doesn't know who his boss is you know like I, I never there's always that trick of like how do we detect who the villain is and i'm like well one way to not detect a villain is never introduce the villain Right. So like instead of having the butler introduce himself to the characters and they're like, I don't like this butler guy. I roll an inside check. I rolled a 27. Hey, it turns out he's the main villain. Right. Right. Instead of that, he never even faces the characters. He's working everything from behind. And you might like get hints that there's somebody out there, but you don't know who it is. And one way to do that is that he dresses up in a disguise and talks to Ned. So Ned has a Scarlet Brotherhood agent, but a handler, the sorry. guy that's handler but the handler is actually pretending to be another member of the council right. so if ned gets captured he'll give up one of the council members who isn't an actual scarlet brotherhood agent so what's the i'm trying to remember um my reading of of sinister secrets um the character of ned pretending to be uh, a prisoner in the in the haunted uh house what is what is the the book uh, the story is written for him? Why is he there? Yeah, the story is written is that he works for a corrupt member of the merchants at mm -hmm. Saltmark, and that that merchant is in league with the smugglers in the basement. And Ned's job is to convince the characters not to go after the smugglers. So the so the the smugglers know that Ned is there, and Ned is think, working so. with him. Yeah, I think so. But I'm, I'm but that that's troublesome for a bunch of reasons. Because sure. Like, you know, he could blow the secret if he's captured. So I, I think I you know, I think he does know the smugglers are there. I don't know that they know he's there. It's it's a tricky bit, right? I don't I haven't found the best way yeah. to handle that yet. Although part of me like I like the idea of him being uh, an agent of the the Scarlet Brotherhood. Right. Uh and not you know and, and very much like a like a a, a sort of a stereotype terror network, right? Where no, yeah. none of the others know what the other ones are doing or whatever. One, one member. But what, if, what if you had a terrorist cell where there was only one person in the cell? Yeah. <laughs> right? like, sure. Everybody's really independent. And they only work with one other person. And, 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 and so, yeah, part of me sort of like, is his job to sort of work his way into the group of smugglers and, use them for scarlet brotherhood yeah, I, purposes so I, I think, you know right. i think he's a spy period right. he actually is a spy he's an npc spy right. and i think he works well as he's like he's watching what the smugglers are up to to see how the scarlet brotherhood can use that to their advantage right and then when the characters come by he's like how can i use this to our advantage right, right. and it's that constant like they're not loyalists they're not traditionalists they're not pirates but they want to use all three against each other until the scarlet brotherhood owns salt marsh right like that's their end so i think there's you know, I think they're and, and you can I always try to put myself in the head of the villain. Right. And it's like, well, if I were Ned, what would I be trying to do? And it's mm -hmm. like, well, you know, I would be pre preserving myself and I would try not to give up the brotherhood and I would try my best to like use one against the other. Yeah, so, my, I feel I feel I feel like Ned is, is Ned's primary motivation is to impress his handler. You know, yeah. at least in my head, you know, that's all that he doesn't even know who his handler really. Is. Right. That's all. That's all he really wants. Uh, yeah. And but he knows that that this is what the Scarlet Brotherhood wants. And so, you know, so all those other things become secondary to I want to impress the boss. So I'm, I'm having a great time with Saltmarsh. My my initial 
my initial feeling on it before I've played it all. I, you know, I'm always like the, I'll review an adventure once I've run it. Right. And I haven't run it all, so I can't say for sure. But I, I but reading it, I really like how it is laid out. I think the adventures look like a lot of fun. And um, I'm, I'm super excited about it. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I really ran... look, I really look forward to hearing your, your stories yeah. through, through the show about how it works because, because it's not a campaign, but you're running it as well. Right. I am running it as a campaign. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think it plays well together. Like all the adventures are levels, you know, they're all, they all level into one another. They're all in the same region. It doesn't feel that hard to make it a campaign. Like it doesn't feel like trying to make a campaign out of uh, yawning portal. Right. 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 That was, that would, that would have been a lot harder. Well, and not um, just harder, but it would have been dungeon after dungeon after dungeon and get boring. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> but I don't think the levels combined, like I think you had to like three or four levels in between them. Yeah, because um, it was like first to seventeenth or something with five adventures. Uh, so I also ran another adventure that I was really looking forward to and had a really hard time with in the end, and that was Murder on the Crossroads, which is one of the adventures in the Midgard Sagas book. Okay. Uh, so the guys at Cobalt Press put together a book of adventures that they have run at conventions, run regularly at conventions, and they have streamlined them and edited them and they added really nice art and really nice maps and everything else and put them together in a single package that is also like you can run it from like third to eighth level. And um, I, I was like, really excited about it. And I have a group that's getting together irregularly on Saturdays. So I was like, well, this would be fun. We can play like one shot adventures, but they can still level the characters up in between them and everything like that. And the first one is a murder mystery. It actually follows a lot of the, I don't think it was written this way, or I don't think it, it was written with this intent, but it follows the plot line of The Hateful Eight from uh, oh. Tarantino, which is not a movie I particularly like. I love Tarantino, but I did not like that movie. Um, but it's the idea is like, there's a bunch of people in a blizzard that are stuck in a place and there's a murder that occurred and they're trying to figure out who the murderer is. And, and the murderer is among all of the people that are at this place. Oh, that's a fairly classic trope anyway. I mean, that's, it that's, is, yeah. that's Clue too, isn't it? Again, is it a snowstorm in Clue? Okay. Well, it's not a snowstorm, but you're trapped okay. in a place and, you know. Yeah. yeah. So also like um, Hateful Eight, it all turns into a completely different story in the middle in which you find out that the main guy who got murdered actually is in league with devils. And there's a portal to hell opening up underneath the place you're in. And you have to go close the portal to hell. And the, that, that idea is really a strong idea. I kind of dig it. Like half the adventure is figuring out who the murderer is. The other half is closing the portal to hell. Right. Um, the problem is that the way they handle the murder in the adventure was one of the most complicated ways I've ever seen an adventure. <laughs> and I am not, you know, I don't have the mind to be able to kind of put all that together. So I spent a fair, I read the whole adventure from front to back. And I spent a good bit of time the day the day of. I was running it at one, and I didn't really have anything else going on before then. So I spent a fair bit of time reading it and trying to understand how it was going on. And one of the ideas of this adventure is that the murderer, it's, it's a little like Ravenloft in the sense that the clues that the characters pick up will actually determine who the murderer was. Okay. So it, it's not defined ahead of time. Nor is it like, well, you get to pick ahead of time. Instead, it's like, depending on the clues they find, that's who the murderer will be. But what that means is you've got like 27 possible clues that could lead in many different directions. And various paths of various clues will cut off the path of another set of clues. And it's just this incredibly dense web of stuff. And like, I just got lost. Like I was running it and I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know who the, you know, I, I eventually picked a, picked a murderer and I said, we'll just go with this guy. But right. all, you know, my players were like, well, we never really felt like we figured out who the murderer was until they showed up at the end and tried to kill us. 
And we felt like the whole idea that we needed to solve the murder went away as soon as we had to stop the portal to hell. So it was a little, it was, it was a given, given the pedigree of the adventure and the idea that it's this, you know, is designed for convention play, which you would think would make it, you know, easier to run. Right. And it was one of the hardest adventures I think I've ever tried to run. Wow. So, yeah. Anyway, I thought I'd share that too. Yeah. And that's actually, I mean, that, um, that product is going on my list for reasons that I'll it's, talk about during my time. So but it's good. I still like it. Like it, it's a, you know, it's a beautiful book for one and it's well edited and everything. Um, and some of the other adventures in it are pretty interesting. Uh, but that one looked good. Although I was like, I don't know, murder mystery. I don't know. It looks good until you see how complicated it is. And it's like for a four hour adventure, it's got 30 rooms, for example. Mm. And in the or, or some yeah I think it's like thirty rooms and many of the rooms have two sets of descriptions because of what's happening before the portal to hell is opening and what's happening after the portal to hell is opening, so it's a twenty page adventure that's supposed to take four hours to run, and I'm like that's too long, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's too much, that, that that's a lot of words, so yeah good, I, I've got the the. Page open now. I'm de definitely going to check it out. So, yeah. All right. Anything else for or f uh, to or from Sam? Or Sam, Mike. <laughs> what Sam's done already? No. <laughs> <laughs> Just want to know if you if you have any last words or if Sam has any last words I for have, you. I have no last words. If Sam has questions for me, I'd be all ears. Um. You you said uh, that it, the structure or the layout of the I'm not. I don't really remember exactly what your wording was, but basically, the the way that they set up the mystery was difficult yeah. for you to run at the table. Is that what you meant? Yeah. Did you mean the layout of the actual oh, yeah. information? The layout, yes, both of them. Right, the layout of the information I found difficult because because the the way that it's supposed to play out is you don't know the layout. So, for example, they have a timeline section mm -hmm. on two of the pages. And uh, I'm just doing a quick count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So they have about 20 lines worth of material to cover the timeline from, you know, sort of before the guy gets murdered through when the characters actually show up. And it's 20 different, you know, sort of events that take place. But those 20 events might not be true depending on which clues they had picked up earlier mm -hmm. to implicate somebody. Mm -hmm. So that I, I think it's a neat idea, but I found it like that, you know, because I love the way like Ravenloft does it. Mm -hmm. But like Ravenloft is like three, you know, you pl you play a card and it tells you where the sword is. Like I can do that. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I, I'm wondering if it's like if were you reading a physical product or like the PDF and I have the PDF. Yeah. Would it is it like hyperlinked or no. I'm, I'm just trying to figure out no, like how, how to make that easier? Well, I think, you know. I, I think if it were me, I would. I like the idea that the murder could be anybody, but I would probably say like before you run the game, you probably want to decide who the murderer is and then set these clues in place. Right. Right. And you can have clues and red herrings, you know, all throughout. But and the idea that any of them could be the murderer means that they all work as NPCs that are defensible as the murderer. Right. right. So that means it's not as easy to pick them out. But I think I would have rather chosen ahead of time who the murderer was. And then that way I now have the 10 clues that I need to put in place, like seven clues and three red herrings. 
-hmm. you know, that are, are all the things. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I know I'm a sucker for my own nonsense, but like to me, like having my <laughs> 10 secrets and clues, I'm like, here are the things that are true. Right. And then as the characters are, and they're, they're true regardless of how the characters figure them out. But the characters can go anywhere, and as they go anywhere, they will pick up these clues, and eventually they'll have enough clues to implicate somebody. So I, I think there's a simpler way. Yeah, yeah. Especially I, if I, an adventure. I, I, I feel like that's a, you know, I mean, this is like, this is a topic we could talk about for like three hours. I mean, just how how to structure a mist, a, a real good mystery, yeah. into yeah. your campaign, right? Like. I feel like I feel like that that sounds like it would be well suited to me knowing it's going to happen around say fourth level and seeding those NPCs and the different people that are involved in everything mm -hmm. into the campaign so that the characters meet them beforehand and and these people are known yeah. and then when the whole mystery happens now it's like they're actually looking for clues about people that they've at least heard of or dealt with in some even some you know tangential way it it's more meaningful and then the clues you know they're more likely to maybe give someone they've met a little more leeway than you know when it's just these seemingly random npcs right. who might have a name but you, you know what i mean like i feel mm -hmm. like that's rough as of like a one-shot kind of experience it is yeah yeah <laughs> All right. Interesting. Yeah, no. I, I, uh, are you doing more with that? I'll probably run the other adventures in here, which are very different than that. Okay. I'm excited because one of them was written by Wolfgang Bauer himself, and I'm, right. I don't think I've ever played an adventure written by Wolfgang. Okay. So, yeah, I look forward to... So, uh, this is a different group? This is a third group? Or are you in incorporating this into Salt Marsh? Uh, this is a different group. I have a I have a regular Sunday group, a regular Wednesday group, and then an irregular Saturday group. I see. And this is my irregular Saturday group. I we see, get together yeah. you know, probably once or twice a month. Ah, perfect. Okay. So, I, yeah, I look forward to hearing more about how that goes. And, um, sure. Uh, I've definitely put it on my list for reasons that, that will become clear uh, shortly. Mm -hmm. So um, before we move on to Sam, I want to mention our patrons over at patreon.com slash the Tome Show uh, who support the show. Um, I'm still in the midst of unpacking and moving and things here in my new home in Indiana, so I don't have the, the list of patrons in front of me at the moment, but they will definitely get their their acknowledgement um, at least once this month at some point. Um but I want to thank them anyway for being supporters and let everybody else know that if you want to support the show, do it over at patreon.com slash the Tome Show. Uh, it's a great community and group of people there. Uh, and occasionally we get to talking about some stuff. So, Look, mate. Three generations ago, my ancestors forged the Great Blade Skull Splitter. With it, they won the Goblin Wars, the Hobgoblin Wars, the Orc Wars, the Demon Wars, the Elf Wars, and the Gelatinous Cube Wars. And that one doesn't even make sense because they don't have skulls. Now, all these years later, the legend of the Great Skull Splitter grows. Offering dice to help you create your own legends, Skull Splitter Dice makes the highest quality dice beautiful dice of both plastic and metal. Want to roll bones that look like bones? or just something with enough heft to split the skulls of your enemies, Skull Splitter Dice has that and more. Check them out now at SkullSplitterDice.com slash Tomeshow and use the coupon code Tomeshow with all little letters and get 15% off. 
Now get out there, split some skulls, and build some legends. That's that. Sam. Yes, sir. You've got 15 minutes on the clock and a lot of water to cover. Go. <laughs> yeah, so uh, so I've got two games running right now, and I'm going to bug Mike by by talking about the one that doesn't involve him oh. first. <laughs> so uh, what am I doing here? Uh, my <laughs> my 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 game that I run uh, that I stream online for the Don't Split the Podcast Network mm-hmm. is uh, a game in my homebrew world. It's the the water game, so it's a seafaring. Uh, game and we've released four podcast episodes streamed four episodes uh so far and the fifth one is going to come up in a couple of weeks i mean you and um, you and mike spend a lot of time sort of in sync you know you were both doing sort of the jungle <laughs> thing at the, at the same time mm-hmm. now you're both doing seafaring things at the same time yeah. i have to stand the, out and continue to be the the odd man out well the the, the difference is that i'm i'm doing my own campaign in my own yeah, setting i'm are, not yeah. doing i'm not doing salt marsh at all it has nothing i mean oh, you're I'm not, not even I, I thought maybe you'd start incorporating some of it in, but you're not going no, to no 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 i mine's a totally it's it's based on the characters and the players mm-hmm. and what they wanted for their game and all that stuff are you so, using like yeah. the the ship rules in that book or you got your own um i i'm i used those as a framework to build out my own okay. at which uh, okay, now I'll plug something. I'm going to release it on the DMs Guild at some point. Right. Um, but uh, because they're spending a lot of their time on a ship and different islands, I'm I'll I have my own kind of more expanded. You know the 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 Saltmarsh book. One of the things it has is uh, it has this part in in it in it, the section in the back where it talks about you know uh, what happens if something bad happens on the ship when you're out at sea. Mm-hmm. And rather than just have it like a skill, a skill check or a skill challenge system where a couple of rolls and you either pass or fail, it sort of has this framework where you can succeed really well or you can kind of succeed or you can you – know, it's, it's almost like a succeed but with complications or you can kind of fail but not disastrously and then you can disastrously fail based on what you end up doing. Right. Um, and I, I kind of expanded that out and and wrote uh, a lot more about what sorts of things you're doing on a boat. Like, what do you do if you're on a ship all day? You're not just, you know, laying around in your hammock. I mean, you you know, so so that's that's they're my own rules, but they're based on the seed that was started in the, that book. But I'm not using any of the adventures, the adventures. In that okay. book at all. Um, so that's going well. All the players are, uh, really enjoying it. I think as at least that's what they've told me. And, uh, I hope that, that anybody who's listening to that is enjoying it as well. Um, two of the players are, are, uh, new to fifth edition. One of them hasn't played D and D since second edition. One of them has never played D and D, um, but has played like computer RPGs mm-hmm. and has already started to DM her own game offline for cool. a couple of friends of hers. So, you know, I'm trying to grow the hobby here and it's working. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, I, for what it's worth, I'm enjoying listening to it. Oh, good, good. So. The last episode we just had was really fun. So yeah. it's not out on the, it's not, hasn't been released as a podcast yet, but it's, I think you're going to like it. Sweet. Um, the, you know what the problem I have with it is, so the show is called D&D Brief because the plan was to spend a couple hours gaming and then like 45 minutes to an hour talking about the yeah, debriefing, and we get so into it, we end up playing for three and a half hours and leaving ourselves twenty minutes to 
to debrief. So uh, I'm I'm trying to get better about that. But, I, th- I um, think I think half an hour to to 45 minutes max on debriefing uh, as a listener is 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 about right. Uh, I look yeah, forward to yeah, see, yeah, yeah. I look forward to seeing where the conversations go because so far I mean I'm what three episodes in that you've released. Yeah. Uh, you know, so far every every time it's you having to sort of explain what the concept is <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah so I look yeah. forward to it, it, as, once the culture and expectations are sort of established, seeing mm-hmm. where that goes. Yeah. So the fourth episode, which you probably haven't hit yet because you've right. been moving, uh, has an actual more substantial. We talk about theater of the mind and problems with visualizing things and and stuff like that just for a few minutes but Mm -hmm. uh so that's the type of conversation i want to have more of because i want it to be about the game as a whole not not just about the campaign necessarily so in any case so that's the one game so i'm having a lot of fun with it the players are really great we have a lot of uh, interactivity between each other outside of the game uh and all the players have been have been really uh, good about being invested in their characters, and so it's a lot of fun. And uh, it's it's this big uh, mystery, but not in the same way that Mike ran his mystery. Mm. And uh, I think they're going to be happy with uh, the outcome and and how things happen. So, uh, so I'll set that aside, and I'll probably talk more about that on the next episode. But the one I want to talk about now is the one that Mike's interested in, and that is my other group, which is uh, the group that has just two players in it. That is uh, the kids. The, the, they're the kids, right? Yeah. So they're they're thirteen and fifteen years old, um, and they are a uh, f- they're fourth level now. Okay, um, so they're a, a fourth level druid and a, f- a fourth level ranger, and they are going through the ruins of Grindelroot. Uh, adventures as written by uh, one Mike Shea, Yay. who maybe some so, of you have heard. So this is like, hey, both hobgoblins and orcs are attacking us. You two, <laughs> go take care of it. <laughs> well, so so I'll tell you how I fixed that or how I how <laughs> it was dealt with. So there was a week where I met with them where so there's a couple so there's a couple of problems with what happened, and that is there's there was a week that I met with them that I didn't have the rest of the playtest adventures. So I went off the cuff, and they ended up following uh, a passageway outside. They w- they left the mountain, and they went out, and they found these knolls, this band of knolls that was raiding some of the caravans that were coming into Deep Delver's Enclave. And they 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 uh, path- they took some uh, guards with them, so they had a bunch of hirelings. That that was one way to fix that issue with a bunch of knolls. Mm-hmm. And so they went, and some things happened, and. Um, the 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 head knoll of the warband uh, <laughs> actually stole the sword. You know the the sword uh, that that you provided in one of the adventures. Um, it might have actually been Starsong Tower that that casts uh, casts basically radiant hands. Yeah, right. Um, one of the players had that sword. He had figured out how to get it, and he had it. And then he he got captured by the knolls. So the knoll leader took that sword. So he's really pissed off at the Knolls because they took his <laughs> fancy sword. Right. That's really awesome. And then when they, they went back to Deep Delver's Enclave, then they they got a party together to go finish these Knolls because the Knolls were still really dangerous. When they got out there, all the Knolls were dead and had been turned into purpley glowing undead. So they went back and they they gathered up some of the sort of gooey stuff that was leaking out of these knoll bodies, and they uh, went back to 
Deep Delver's Enclave, and they talked to J.C. Goldsmile. And uh, they really gravitated towards J.C. Goldsmile from the beginning, from session one, because I played her as this sort of uh, absent-minded professor type of shopkeep who had all of these things in her shop and all these different little nooks and you know you didn't know what anything was nothing's labeled she's kind of kooky but if you ask her for something she says hold on a second and she'll like reach over without even looking and she'll pull it off a shelf and it'll be exactly what they wanted um so they sort of got the idea that maybe she knows some things about magic stuff so they took this goopy stuff to her and she says, oh, you know, I think this, this, I don't know what this is, but, you know, we should go, we should go, f I know who could tell us, uh, uh, there's a gnome uh, down in Violet Falls that could probably analyze this because they have these machines. And that's how I got them into the, Vi the Violet Falls mm -hmm. uh, uh, adventure. And then, of course, they get down there and everybody there is all zombies. So that kind of worked. Mm -hmm. Then they come back, they, they finish that, they, they end up... Um, decimating these poor helpless zombies that are just hanging out in their own old tenements. They kill all of them. They burn them in these big piles. These guys are like ruthless. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and they find the Everclock, which was the really awesome moment. And they're trying to figure mm. out what the heck to do with that. And that's, that's so far, I think my favorite thing. I'm, I love it. It's, it's coming into my game. Uh, so, uh, so, they go back to Deep Delver's Enclave, and as they're going back, that's when they see signs of an ambush being set up. And they overhear, they, they see some knoll uh, tracing, so, so, some knoll sign. And they think, oh, those knolls, they came back, you know, maybe we can find the rest of the band and this, that, and the other. And they're looking around, and so that's when one of the ambush scenes is found. But they don't get ambushed because by then it was just the three of them. And so, oh, so one thing that I did also to show them, because they, while they thought J.C. Goldsmile was um, was important in terms of she was going to pay them for this item if if it had any kind of arcane value and, and this sort of thing they also thought she was kind of a bumpkin mm -hmm. and so one thing that happened was when they were off searching for how to get to violet falls they took a rest and while they were sleeping uh they were attacked by a displacer beast except they didn't know it because jc goldsmile took care of the displacer beast by herself Hmm. And was already like skinning it and preparing all the parts of it to package up and sell back when she gets back to Deep Delver's back back clave. Uh, and so that let them know that she's more powerful than they first thought because either one of them alone could not take out a displacer beast. Mm -hmm. So they either thought this is totally fake and she's setting them up, or she's a total badass <laughs> and they she's going to help them and they better not mess with her because yeah, they underestimated uh, her she's yeah right. she's she's really powerful so that's how i took care of it being only two people but yet <laughs> yeah here's a band of hobgoblins and here's a band of orcs which in my game i had them as gnolls but i used orc stats because i was doing the play test right. so um so so they found this ambush site. So in other words, they sort of, they find that there's this ambush being set up. They kind of skulk around. They use a lot of stealth. They, they hear some, uh, you know, some hobgoblins talking and they, 
they they follow some gnolls to to their hideout. So they get they get all this clandestine information. They gather all this information. They take it back to the enclave, and that's sort of where I started. Then I then I started the fistful of copper scenario. Mm-hmm. The thing is that because of that's what the one with happened, the tigers, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah tigers, right. <laughs> typo tigers. Yeah. Right. Um, so they uh, so. The thing is that because I, I really like the scenario because it's a really interesting way to make a relatively low-level party deal with uh, large bands of creatures that they probably cannot defeat themselves, right. at least not in a head-on attack. And that's right. perfect, and it really speaks to my mega-dungeon-loving soul, right? And it's not a mega dungeon, but that sort of parlaying with the factions and trying to turn one against the other so that right. you can they really have them. to they really have to do that. <laughs> they really have to do it because otherwise they're just going to get slaughtered, especially right. if there's right. only two of them, right? Right. Um, the problem is that so in this scenario, the hobgoblins have they're much more of a threat to the enclave. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have trebuchets. They're going to set up. They're they're going to do a real siege because, of course, yeah, they're, they're hot organized. Bombs. They're yeah. they're they're organized. They're militaristic. They know exactly what they're doing. And their leader has a goal, and his goal requires him to take over the enclave. And he can't do that just walking in and asking nicely, right? Mm-hmm. He has to do a full on assault siege. The orcs, which, as I said, I played them as gnolls in my game, but I used you know the orc stats. So the the orcs are not as big of a problem. They have sort of a lazy leader, and but but there's a sort of secondary who is powerful. So there's a lot of really cool stuff going on even within each faction. So that's one thing. The problem is the way the way that I had set up everything to get them to this point. They of course were really pissed off at the gnolls because the gnolls, mm-hmm. the gnolls from the previous session, or the two previous sessions before that, had stolen <laughs> the player's magic sword. And so, of course, he was really focused. This is the 13-year-old, right? He's really focused on getting his sword back. He says, oh, those are the gnolls. I know that they have my sword. Their leader took my sword out of my hand and ran away with it. And they, they, they tried to chase and do all that. It was a really fun session, but they, they just couldn't get him and catch him and get the sword back. So the way I played it was, uh, you know, Cran the Crippler had the sword and was that knoll. And... Right. So they really focused on going after the gnolls, even though actually the hobgoblins are a bigger danger. But mm-hmm. what that means is now they got to deal with hobgoblins. Now they got to go parlay with hobgoblins to get right to get, to go get the gnolls out of there. But then how do they keep the hobgoblins from destroying the enclave and not taking their sword, (laughs) you know, uh, and, uh, we didn't finish it (laughs) because the session ended. So I don't know how it's going to turn out, Hmm. but, um, they are being, they, it took, it took a little bit for them to catch on that they needed. I mean, they're young and they're brand new to D &D, Mm and D and they don't, they don't play any computer games. So they're not even like my players in my other game, they sort of have some, knowledge of okay here's kind of how things work sometimes you have to be stealthy and you go and all these boys have are movies and books right so they kind of know but they've never really played anything like that right right so it's taken them some time to sort of fall into the idea of okay it's not always the best thing to just poke your pointy sword at somebody right 
Um, and but it's turning out to be really great because one of the players he rolled. I had them roll stats, and he rolled uh, one really low stat. And he put it in his charisma, and he's always the one that tries to go talk to everybody because the other one, the ranger, wants to go hide and be like a sniper. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's amazingly fun. It's amazingly fun. But uh, I really like this scenario. It's really well done. Uh, you know what I want? I want more ambush sites. Yeah. Yeah. So turn him, turn him, turn him, turn him 180 degrees. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to give you more. You're probably not getting more ambush sites. No, I know. I know. I have lots more. I have lots more feedback. Um, I, but I, you know, I'll give you the good stuff on here. I love the way it's laid out. I like the way that each of the factions is presented and has a couple of sort of the main person and the underling, and then they have goals and plans of their own. They have things that you can use against them. They have obstacles they have to overcome. You know, there's uh, there's some decent treasure in here. Uh, it's it's well done, and I like it. Great. And I think Thank other you. people will too. So uh, I'll, yeah, I'll give you the written to, feedback. Yeah, I look forward to the rest of your feedback. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting one to write, and it was one that I wanted to be different than a typical adventure. I wanted to have this sort of two-part siege. And you've got to figure out how to manipulate these two groups and offer lots of options. But of course, that's, you know, I think one of the folks that read it early on is like, I don't have any idea how this is going to play. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know either. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see when the well, play test comes in. Yeah. And that's why I ended up using Knowles, you know, well. Yeah. So you had a third faction. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, the thing no. is, I just made just sort the, of a, the, yeah. the orcs were the Knowles. The orcs, you know, the, the orcs yeah, were right. the Knowles, right? Which is a good way to go. Yeah. Um, but I mean, but the thing is that that was only because I had run something separately, right? And it happened to fit in perfectly. If it hadn't, I would have just used them as orcs. But I don't know how I would have – I mean, I take it back. I probably know how I would have gotten them to that point. But they were a lot more invested in getting rid of these gnolls right. because they had had a previous interaction with them. So I guess that's the one sort of criticism I have of this is that for me it felt all of a sudden – because there was no mention of orcs and hobgoblins previously. And I know it's kind of addressed in here, but that's the I think that's one of the difficulties is if there's no real setup for that other than a few sentences in somebody's campaign, it's going to be hard to get investment into that. Right. So the investment in that case is going to have to come from we, we know that they're going to put siege on the enclave and we need to protect it. Right. So – and sometimes that's hard for people to to come to that, you know, to get to that point. Yeah. You know, that kind of feedback is a great way that Sam is supporting Mike over there. And if you <laughs> want to support the Tome Show, <laughs> another way you can do that is by shopping at DMs Guild or Amazon using the links at thetomeshow.com. See, I did the transition. That, that was, was nice. That was well done. <laughs> Watch the Segway Master. That's what I'm <laughs> it always it always uh, goes more smoothly when you point out how smoothly it was. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have it any other way. Absolutely. So, but seriously, if people want to support the show, uh, DMs Guild and Amazon are ways of doing that. If you go through the links at thetomeshow.com, the Amazon money gets uh, shared with people who contribute to the show, like Sam and Mike and many others, uh, and the DMs Guild. Uh, affiliate money gets used to to buy products that we review on things like uh recently the pdf mini reviews that came out um you know a little while ago 
depending on when this comes out. So, yeah. So very good. <laughs> All right. So it is my 15 minutes to talk. Uh, and my, my time to talk is a little bit different than usual, of course, because I haven't played a game. Right. Since we chatted last, I, I've wrapped everything up with my previous group. I moved halfway across the country and I haven't even met uh, the people in my new group yet. Um, so I've been doing a lot of group building and a lot of campaign prep uh, and, and figuring out how to make things, how things fit together and all that. Uh, and so I'm going to exasperate Mike with what he calls my kookiness uh, by mashing things up. <laughs> Uh, so, the, however, first of all, like we talked, I think, recently on one of these episodes, and then we did a whole advice episode sort of that came out of that in terms of how do you get a group together and, and introduce yourself to them and get things off on the right foot and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and so I, I've been doing some of that work. Now, um, earlier, Mike, you asked whether or not we do session zeros, and my answer was sometimes sort of. Uh, and the reason my answer was sometimes sort of is because I was thinking about this current group and we haven't done a session zero and I don't think we're going to do a session zero because the things that you do in a session zero, we're already doing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're getting to know each other where they're building their characters. I'm, I'm asking them sort of guiding and, uh, and prompting questions and, and um, I'm having them build relationships sort of fiasco style like, like you often. In fact, I even pulled up your old article about using oh, fiasco cool. style relationships. And I just took a, I took a picture with my phone of the screen of the 20 options that you gave as samples. And, and I just sent it to the, to the group and said, OK, I want you guys to, to build relationships with relationships with each other here are some possible prompts to consider and, and how to do that and whatever uh so that that is is has gone fairly well i asked you know i gave them a one-page primer that we'd talked about right mike you, you brought it up with uh something in your latest product and um something that you created with salt marsh and then we talked about it before and then i created something and gave it to you for feedback and made some tweaks and then sent it to them uh, and so they've got a one-page primer from me with some background and whatever, and then I asked each of them four questions, and then I did the relationship stuff, and that's what we're almost done with now. And then we have our first sort of get-together actually this week. Uh, this week, Friday, we're going to try to just get together at a, at a local restaurant or a game store, and the idea is that every, every one of us is going to bring uh, a card or board game, and we're just going to sit around and play card games and board games and get to know each other a little bit before we start you know, getting together at somebody's house. Cool. Um, so, so building what you, that, what yeah. do you do if someone's weird? Well, that's, um, that's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> um, especially in this situation, I don't know because, um, they were already a group before I came along. Oh, okay. So, so they, so, they've all vetted each other at least. They've all vetted each other. What so if, what if, if someone's, you're weird, you're all right. If someone, if someone is weird or they think I'm weird, then I guess I'm just back to trying to find a group <laughs> <laughs> because they're, they were already sort of set. One guy actually um, talked about possibly leaving because we were discussing uh, running it in a running Dragon Heist, but doing it in a setting like Midgard or Eberron just to put a twist on things, right? Uh, and because those are settings I don't get to play around with very much, and I, I thought it'd be kind of fun to do that. And they were all on board with Eberron, and they were excited about it. And then he's like, yeah, I think I'm just going to sit out and, and go play with some other people or whatever. Because um, he's a big fan of Forgotten Realms, and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't know much of anything about Eberron, and didn't want to really get into it much. He did a little bit of research. He's like, "That sounds like Gamer World." I'm like, "Yeah, not really." But you know, if you're not feeling it, like it's it's our first time sitting down. Like, 
I hope right. I, I hope that we can like stretch our horizons eventually. But you know what? We're you're just getting to know me. We haven't built that trust yet. Let's let's do that first. So I and mean, it honestly I, makes I, my life easier if we don't do that because I don't have to reskin everything. So yeah, I mean, I I guess my my other thought about that, it, and you, it's probably you've probably thought of this, but if he was that quick to say, well, maybe I'll do something else, go play with some other people. Like he might be close to that point anyway with this group, right? Like it might not be you. That might have been a good way for him to introduce the idea yeah, that he might leave. It the could group, be. I get right? the I get the impression that he's so he's the older of the bunch. Um, and I don't, again, I don't know people very well because I haven't met him other than online. Uh, we have a, a Discord channel that we use, and that's where we discuss everything because that's what they were doing before I joined. Um, so I had to figure out Discord <laughs> to, to communicate with the group. Um, so he's the older one. He's the one who's been playing for a long time. Um, the others are really into D and D, but I get the impression that they haven't been playing for very long. Um, uh, at the point that, that this group got together. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's a different dynamic between w with, uh, that player and the other three, but, but I, so far he's like in the character creation, the backgrounds, the relationship building, he's, he's, he's buying into all of that. So, um, and he's clearly yeah, not, yeah. he's clearly not afraid to do something, um, unusual because he's playing an ASMR, which is not necessarily, uh, you know, a standard forgotten realms race. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, so, so I, I look forward yeah, to seeing I, how it goes. I mean, I don't, I don't say what I said. I, I don't mean it as a derogatory no. thing. I just mean, you know, it, it's possible for people to outgrow a certain play style mm -hmm. or play group and maybe he He's reaching that point, you know. It could be, and and um, I had a, a similar, and a lot, in my head, I had a similar sort of player. Again, I don't know him very well, so I can't really say that. Yeah. In my last sure. group, and he stuck with us for a long time. He hadn't he played first edition and then j jumped straight to fourth edition, um, and then about uh, six months or a year or so after we got into fifth edition, he left us. Um, you know, so he was with us a long time and, and whatever, mm -hmm. but he was also the old Grognard. And I think the, the play style was maybe changing to a point that he wasn't as interested in it. I, he was having some, some personal, uh, health issues and whatever going on as well. Um, so, you know, my, in my head at this point, I, I instantly connect the two of those players together, but I haven't met this guy yet. So I'm trying not to, cause I don't want to prejudge. Right. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, and, and yeah, so, you know, we'll see how it all goes. Um, you know, I expect I have good expectations at this point. Everybody seems to be really into it, uh, and we'll get together this this week, hopefully, and and get to meet each other and and figure out what we're going to do uh, and where we're going to play for the next little while. Because I'm getting uh, my basement painted, which is where I've got the game room set up. Except I don't have the game room set up because the painters can't be here for like a month. So um, I think I'll try to see if I can find somewhere else to play uh, in the meantime. Uh, maybe one of the other guys' house and and go from there. Uh, you know they sell they sell paintbrushes at Home Depot, my friend. I I know, but we're actually having the entire the entire interior of the house painted. Uh, I'm just not, and so I'm not going to do all that. So. <laughs> <laughs> I I got I got uh, classes to teach in like three weeks that I haven't started writing the syllabus on. So, um, so the building of the group is going well. The relationship building piece is going well. The campaign building stuff is going well. I know Mike uh, likes to, to giggle these days about my mashing up of different <laughs> games. Um, but so the so I talked about it before. We're running. I'm going to run Dragon Heist that then flows into Curse of Strahd. 
and I'm starting to figure out, okay, how does that work? What's the larger sort of meta arc? Uh, and I've got the, I, I've started developing, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like that, that meme where of the guy who's got the, the, the cork board and, and the string between everything and he's going crazy. Um, so I feel like that and that I'm starting to find connections that make everything work. So let me, let me lay out my mad vision here. Um, as I'm building the campaign and as I'm looking through how, how all this fits together or whatever, what I've discovered is that Barovia and Waterdeep are in the same location. Um, uh, like Barovia used to be in that location 2,000 years ago. Uh, it was separated off and sent to the Domains of Dread uh, to become a prison for the, the dark powers um, that have vestiges in the Amber Temple. Uh, and so, and then they were able to draw in Strahd and whatever, because there's this gap in the history of the Forgotten Realms where there was nothing really in that location 2,000 years ago, which also happens to be about the time that Strahd was, was pulled in and Ravenloft was created. Uh, and so I'm, my story is Barovia was there, it was pulled out, and then later on Waterdeep sort of developed as a city on top of it. And so when people go missing into the mists, the mists are fairly localized in the Forgotten Realms in and around the city of Waterdeep. That's where the people are, are disappearing every now and then. And, and, you know, it's not unusual to have a, 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 you know, a major city that's perpetually sort of, you know, draped in fog and mist and whatever. Uh, and then I also then decided, okay, so there is a, a brief sort of mention uh, in the Amber Temple section, since that's sort of the, the crux, you know, the, the impetus behind all of this, um, that there is a, a mention that the the wizards that created the Amber Temple to to imprison and seal off the um, the vestiges of the dark powers, um, that they dedicated the the place to to some sort of god of secrets. So I'm like, oh, what what would that be in the Forgotten Realms? And so I started doing a little bit of looking around, and I found um, a god of deception and mist. And I'm like, well, that fits too well, right? Uh, and so there's a Forgotten Realms god of deception and mist. That's clearly the god that was in, uh, that was used to imprison the dark powers in the Amber Temple and then seal them away in this other domain. Who and and her domain is actually her own plan, uh, home plane is the plane of shadow, which the domains of dread have have always been sort of demi planes of the domain of shadow. So that worked. That all worked out really well. Uh, and then I figured that. Um, that then I can have this larger arc about the the dark powers and um, their efforts to escape and what have you, because the idea of an entire campaign being, hey, we were pulled into Ravenloft and at the end, yay, we got away, um, doesn't feel very impactful, because like even then, if you kill Strahd, he just comes back later, right? Um, and so... I've got this larger sort of meta arc of uh, sort of rolling around in my head about the dark powers trying to use um, Strahd's death as an opportunity to escape. And that, in fact, one of them already has, because I don't know, uh, Mike, you've run Curse of Strahd, right? Yep. And you remember, Twice. do you remember in the Amber Temple that one of the Amber sarcophagi was broken and yep. empty? So in my... Yeah, I, I use that in my campaign. Yeah, so in my, in my vision... Um, that sarcophagus broke and was emptied at some point when Strahd had been defeated and Barovia had sort of reappeared in and around Waterdeep. And so that dark power is running around in the city right now and is in fact the evil being that the Castle Lanterns are worshipping. Mm -hmm. 
And so it all sort of fits together that way. Uh, and so I, 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 I'm trying to look at ways to sort of integrate the two thematically. I did mention earlier that, that I was taking notes of the Midgard sagas as you talked about it, because one of the things I'm doing is I'm trying to take the, the faction missions from Dragon Heist, I'm, I'm expanding them out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm saying, okay, so here are the faction missions that they that they give you in the book. But when I, I remember when I read uh, Salt Marsh for a review, I'm like, well, some of these could easily become faction missions. Uh, and then I'm also looking at some PDFs that I got on DMs Guild about that involve uh, city encounters and extra things that you could throw in in mm-hmm. in this adventure and say, oh, well, some of these could be faction missions. And then I'm looking at, um, you know, maybe you get just outside of the city and I can pull in stuff from um, Cobalt Press's Margrave or I could pull in some things from your Fantastic Adventures uh, set or, you know, if it comes out and, and it fits in before I get too far, um, your new one coming out, uh, the Eldritch Layers from Cobalt Press. So I'm, I've got all these things I'm trying to make sort of a, 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 a diagram of what could fit in under what factions as possible missions, which is particularly, you know unnecessary at this point because i don't even know which factions they're going to sort of connect to <laughs> so right uh, but it's you know it's fun prep for me and it's, and it's an opportunity for me to ignore the work i should be doing to get ready for the school year <laughs> um and then i'm and then the other thing i'm working on is trying to figure out ways to add more hints of barovia and ravenloft into um into the dragon heist campaign without making it overly um you know obvious uh, so, for example, I've got, uh, you know, in that one page sh- uh, background sheet that you looked at, uh, Mike, um, one of the rumors on there was that some some person uh, was, you know, running away from the city watch and disappeared in the mist and was ne- has never been heard from again. You know, and so later on, maybe they run into this person in the mist and, and they run into other rumors of people who disappear or weird things that come out of the mist and whatever. Uh, and then one product I actually picked up on DM's Guild as part of my, my prep um, I wanted to, to have a, a set of maps and a firmer sense of what was going on in Troll Skull Alley um, to, to build that out a little bit in, in Dragon Heist. And somebody had one and, and detailed a, a bunch of the other buildings and gave some information about other NPCs and whatever. And one of them was like, oh, and if you wanted to infuse a little bit of Ravenloft into your game, there could be a Vistani woman in this little uh, building here and she could do you know fortune readings for them and whatever so now i'm trying now i'm racking my brain and filling out spreadsheets in the way that mike shea has taught me over the years uh, <laughs> to to try to figure out so if i do a reading of the taroka deck in dragon heist early on like what kind of predictions could that could i infuse that predict things in dragon heist rather than oh. in ravenloft well, an easy one is the location of the vault. Right. And so I'm doing stuff like that. I, I, some of it, I, for each one, each card, I'm going through every single card and I'm coming up with two potential predictions that could be used depending on how things play out, right? That way I've got a backup just in case. Um, and then I'm, um, I, I was, uh, I think it was another Sly Flourish article that I looked at where you had uh, extra things you could do with the Troka deck and, and ways that could actually mechanically play out. Yeah, you can and, drop it in encounters. Yeah, so I, so I'm looking at um, similar sorts of uh, things. Like I was inspired by that, and I'm like, oh, what if during the reading, this you know they they pull the artifact card? Um, maybe that will have some small mechanical effect when that you know when a certain counter event eventually happens later on in the adventure or whatever. Just little things there. So I just have to make a note of it and try to remember it. Um, and so I'm trying to think through all of that too. But so far, I'm I'm 
I'm maybe two thirds of the way through the the high cards, so there's still a lot a lot for me to do in that in that regard. Uh, and theoretically, I have some time, right? Because um, that's not that couldn't happen until like chapter two or so anyway. So so that's where I'm at. Um, it's a lot of prep. It's a lot of thinking. It's a lot of sort of mad kookiness. Uh, but but that's where my head is at at this point. And, and who knows, right? The 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 players may take it in a completely different direction, but so far they've looked at the background and they've all sort of attached to it. One of the four questions I asked each of them was, hey, one of the the rumors or factions or whatever that I have up in that background sheet, your character is interested in one of them. Which one and why, right? And so they're connecting to some of those things that way. Um, I've got a warlock who's like, well, I don't really even know who my patron is. I've never talked to them. I've never met with them. It's just sort of whispers in my head. I'm like, hey – that could end up being a dark power and they just don't even know it. Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> so it could be the, the lich in the Amber temple. It could be. Yeah. So they, they're, they're a celestial pact, but certainly I could, you know, reskin some things and make it, and maybe it was a celestial back when yeah. you were in Rashomon, but when you showed up in, in Waterdeep, this dark power started pretending to be your celestial patron. Um, or maybe so. this is, it could be one of the celestial, it could be a celestial in one of the coffins in the Amber temple. Yeah. It could be a, a fallen celestial or whatever. That's trying to say like, power. you got to come, let me go. Yep. Oh, that too. Yeah, that'd be good. So yeah, there's all kinds of um, fun things I'm, I'm thinking through and all of that. So um, it could be fun and I look forward to seeing how it plays out. So I expect uh, I expect to actually be playing more often with this group. It sounds like we're going to play every week, whereas I've been doing every other week for like 15, 20 years now. Um, but it looks like we're going to go every week, nice. but, but shorter sessions. So Yeah, I really like doing that. That's what I've been doing. And they feel like you they're more consistent um and yeah i don't know i just i love that pace the three hour weekly game is a great, a great yeah although the, there's a lot of things that i can get done in a six hour session because we can we can just hang out and, and kill time for an hour and i don't have to feel bad about that whereas in a three hour session i, I feel like i gotta sort of keep a, a tighter rein yeah but, but maybe not we'll see yeah um, i look forward to checking it out so any other uh thoughts or questions for me nope all right. So. And I know both of you have places to go because Sam is eight minutes late to uh, recording another edition war, right? Yep. <laughs> so we should get you to that. So uh, we will call that the end of this episode of Behind the DM Screen. Uh, awesome. I thank everybody for listening and say goodbye, guys. Goodbye, guys. Bye.